I won't try to keep you too long tonight. Joshua chapter number 1. And we are going to look at a passage that is most likely very familiar to you if you've been saved for any length of time. But I hope before you just write the message off and say, well, yeah, I've, I've heard this passage before, maybe you've studied it out, before you just write it off, hold on a little bit and wait till the end, and then you can say, well, I already knew that. But it's not what I have to say this evening, it's what God's Word says. And I believe there's a truth here that's very powerful, and it's, it's a message that's kind of born out of jet lag. Uh, when we traveled over to South Africa a few weeks ago, my wife and I and Ruby, and of course my dad had a ministry module that was getting ready to start there, and he had asked me to do some of the teaching for that. So I was studying some passages for that, some of the teaching that I was supposed to help him with, and then a group of guys here at church we started doing the Walking Through God series together through WhatsApp, and so I'd, I'd been working on some of that material as well. And then, you know, traveling to Africa, going six hours ahead at this point, jet lag's a real thing, and then when you add in a baby on top of that, this was my first experience with that, some of you are seasoned travelers with children, but that just adds another dimension. And so it seemed like, you know, every time I would get to sleep and I was, you know, I was sleeping well, Ruby would wake up. And the, the first night when we got there, it was one o'clock in the morning, I think, and Ruby woke up and she thought that it was time to play. And so we had a little, uh, you know, a little jet lag party there in the room and we played with toys and stuff with Ruby and she was happy and singing and she was all excited and we wanted to go to sleep. So anyway, it went on for about a week and a half until she finally got her schedule over in Africa figured out and then we were ready to come home. But one of the evenings, I was laying there in bed, and she had woken us up around midnight or so, and so I was laying there in bed awake, willing myself to go to sleep, and of course I had thoughts from the material I was working on with my dad running through my head, material from walking through God running through my head. Of course, we just had the whole conference here on walking with God, and some of that was kind of playing in as well. And I just remember laying there, and Joshua 1, verse 8, popped into my head. And so I, I began thinking about it, meditating on that passage. And I laid there for quite a while thinking about it. And the more I thought about the verse, it struck me as odd. Something about the verse that I'd never thought about before. And so finally I, I said, well, you know what, I've been laying here for an hour and a half. I might as well just get up. I felt like my dad for a moment. But I got ahead and I... Went ahead, I got up, and I studied for a while, and so this message is kind of born out of that. But in coming up with a title for the guys back there, I titled it, The Most Overlooked Key in Your Christian Life. Now, I can't quantify whether or not it's the most overlooked, but it sounded better than saying one of the most overlooked. So you'll have to decide in your life whether it's the most or not. But I think, arguably, it is one of the most overlooked keys in the Christian life. Joshua 1 and verse number 8 says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then 
thou shalt have good success. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for the wisdom that it has for us. And I ask that as we walk through this passage this evening, that you'd speak to each one of our hearts through your word. And Father, that you'd help us to go away this evening with something that we can apply, that we might walk with you more closely and be more like Jesus Christ in the end. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing we want to think about this evening in this passage, Joshua 1.8, is we want to look at what Joshua is commanded to do. And really, Joshua 1.8 is a command. God himself is speaking here to Joshua, and he's commanding him. He's giving him some things, and they're not optional things. God is commanding Joshua to do this. The first command that he gives Joshua is, he says, Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. So we have to ask, okay, well, what book, what is this book of the law? What is he talking about here? If we go up there to verse number seven, God says, only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law, which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. So when we think about this book of the law, of course, you know, Joshua, he didn't have a King James Bible bound in leather and, you know, printed out on nice pages for him. He didn't have 66 books all preserved. The time and period in which he lived, he would have had the books that Moses wrote. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so this book of the law was the commandments that God had given to Moses. This book of the law would have included Genesis and Exodus. It would have included the history of the patriarchs. It would have included the history of the creation of the world. It would have included God revealing himself to man as the creator God, the I am, the self-existent one, a God who is all-powerful. So Joshua had this book of the law. And God commands him there in verse number 8, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. In other words, he's telling Joshua, Joshua, do not let this book of the law, do not let my word depart out of your mouth. In other words, don't let it leave. Don't let it go away from your mouth. It's something that should always be there. The law of God was something that was to fill Joshua's speech. You think about who is Joshua. Joshua is at this point becoming the leader of the children of Israel. He is God's mouthpiece. He is God's spokesman to God's people. You know, they didn't have all of the the chapters and all of the word of God like you and I do today. They could have recited God's word one to another, but to have a scroll of God's word would have been extremely costly. You and I, you know, we, we have copies of God's Word on our phone, on our tablets, on our computer. We have multiple copies of God's Word in book form at home. We have access to God's Word. But Joshua, he was one who was supposed to be the spokesman of God. He was supposed to be God's mouthpiece. God would speak to him, and he would share what God had to say with the people. So God is telling Joshua, don't let my words depart out of your mouth. You know, Joshua wasn't supposed to fill in the gaps. He wasn't supposed to invent his own things to say to the children of Israel. He was only to give them what God had said. 
But then he says, But thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. He starts that statement with the word, but. He's contrasting there. Instead of letting my word depart from your mouth, Joshua, do this instead. I think, you know, Joshua was human like you and I. And it's easy to let this fall by the wayside. It's easy to let God's word depart from our mouth. It's easy for our mouth to be filled with other things. So God is warning Joshua here and saying, Joshua, this is going to take some action upon your part. Don't let my word depart out of your mouth. But rather, to keep my word in your mouth, meditate therein, day and night. Of course, the word meditate means to occupy your thoughts with something, to murmur. And in Hebrew tradition, they would meditate in God's word by walking wherever they went, and they would murmur. They would talk to themselves. They would recite God's word to themselves. And, you know, you, you talk to yourself, whether you talk to yourself out loud so that others can hear, or you talk to yourself in your head. You talk to yourself. I talk to, our, to myself. I don't talk to ourself. <laughs> That'd be scary. I talk to myself, right? We talk to ourselves. Things come through our mind, and we begin to mull them over. And all of us, if we're honest about it, all of us are masters at meditation. We can worry a problem to death. We can worry a situation to death. We can meditate on sports stats or hobbies or fixing things that we like fixing or doing things that we like doing. But when it comes to the Word of God... Are we people of the book that meditate on what God has to say? I don't want to get too far ahead here, but, but God is speaking to Joshua, and he says, Joshua, don't let my words depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Now, last time I checked, day and night kind of covers all of it. There's not another time inside 24 hours that's not covered by day and and night. So God is not leaving any room here. He's saying, Joshua, you need to be meditating in my word all the time. When you're awake, when you're up and about during the day, when you're asleep, when you wake up in the middle of the night, my word should be that which you think about. When you're laying there and you can't go to sleep, my word should be that which you think about. It should be constantly in your mouth and in your mind. But then we get to the part that really began to catch my attention as I was laying there awake, thinking about this verse. He says, Thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe. So there's a purpose here in this meditation. That thou mayest. In other words, for the purpose of or in order that, you might observe to do according to all that is written therein. And I began to think about the word observe. And I began to think about, well, you know, I've, I've never really noticed how this was worded in Joshua 1.8, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. 
mean, he could have just said, thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest do according to all that is written therein. So I began to think about, well, what is this talking about? What does it mean to observe something? Of course, the word observe means to hold in view, to keep the eyes on. For the purpose of action was what I came up with. If you think about someone who is observant, there's someone who is, they're in tune to their surroundings. We have a great dearth of people who are observant in our world, it seems. If you, I mean, in South Africa and here, I have noticed as you drive down the road, we have a great dearth of drivers that are observant. Most of them are tuned into their phone doing stuff, as they're supposed to be driving their vehicle. If that's you, don't do that. You can't do that. You can't do that and drive. Observant. It means being watchful, paying attention to your surroundings. You think about someone who's a watchman. They're to be someone who is observant. They're to be someone who's in the watchtower or on their post, in their position, and they're watching. Unfortunately, it seems like a lot of watchmen, they sleep, right? And that, that's when the enemy comes. You're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to be watchful. That's the point. So God tells Joshua here that he is to meditate there in day and night that thou mayest observe, that you may hold in view, that you may keep in front of your eyes the purpose. The purpose of this meditation was to bring Joshua's attention on that which he was to be doing. And, you know, there's so many passages we could turn to that back up this principle in the Word of God about how, you know, that which we set our our heart on is what our treasure is, and our heart will follow what we begin to treasure, what we begin to set our affections on. In the book of Colossians, one of our memory verses, you know, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Why? Why? Well, because if we set our affections on things on the earth, that's where our treasure is. That's where our heart will be. That which we we set our eyes on is that which we follow after. And so Joshua was being commanded to meditate in God's word, to not let it depart out of his mouth for a purpose, so that he could observe, he could keep it in front of his eyes, and that he could do according to all that is written therein. According means in line with, in agreement with. He was supposed to be doing that which was in line with what God had said. But then there's this promise that's added at the end. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. So Joshua was promised that he would be prosperous in his way and he would have good success as he meditated on God's word with purpose. And I began to think about meditation and I find that in my life, you know, a lot of times I might try to meditate on a passage or on a verse to take it apart, to understand it. And that's not all bad in and of itself. But that's not what Joshua was commanded to do here. 
And I thought about, as Christians in general, we might try to meditate on a passage because, you know, we want to sound spiritual when someone asks us, hey, you know, what what have you been reading in God's Word lately? Or what have you been thinking about? What have you been meditating upon? And, you know, it's nice to have a passage tucked away in our pocket that we can pull out and, yeah, see, I, I was meditating on this. I'm spiritual. Don't you agree? Right? And it's a temptation to begin to look at God's Word as an academic exercise and to think about how we can, we can understand God's Word and, oh, that's a really neat truth. Let me post that on Facebook. Let me send that out on Twitter. Let me tell my friends, you know, about this amazing thing that I've seen. But the problem is that often it dies right there. And kind of like the, the Pharisee that prayed in the public street corner, and he prayed thus with himself, and the Bible says that he had his reward. You know, when we, when we act like that, when we try to do things so that others will think well of us, we have our reward. But Joshua wasn't commanded to meditate in God's word. He wasn't commanded to observe to do according to all that is written therein so that the people of Israel would look at Joshua and be like, oh, Joshua, he's a real man of God, yeah. No, that's not why God was commanding him to do this. God was commanding him to observe to do according to all that is written therein, to meditate day and night for this purpose so that Joshua would be successful, so that Joshua's way would be prosperous. And this was the promise that God gave him. So we see what Joshua was commanded, but let's think about what Joshua was facing. Let's drop back to verse number 1, Joshua chapter 1. Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying... Okay, so Moses has just passed away. Joshua is now the leader of the children of Israel. And God himself comes to Joshua and is speaking to Joshua. That's pretty cool, right? I mean, if I'm Joshua, I'm going to be sitting back ready to take notes. Because this is important. God himself is speaking to me. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your coast. There shall not be any man, there shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land, which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest." So really try to put yourself in Joshua's shoes, right? Moses has just passed away. 
Remember how Moses passed away? Moses didn't make it into the promised land because of disobedience. Because of disobedience that was brought on by working with a very hard-hearted and hard-headed people for 40, over 40 years, right? And if you're Joshua, you're looking at Moses, whom God described as the meekest man on the face of the earth. I mean, if I'm Joshua, I'm scared. Because I'm saying, you know, I was there with Moses. The last 40 years, I've been with Moses. I've been helping him. And I've seen these people. I don't want this job. Like, Moses couldn't get them into the promised land successfully. How am I going to do that? This is not going to work well. Of course, if you're Joshua, you're also, you have to be thinking back to 40 years prior when you and Caleb were the only two guys who were willing to stand up and say, yes, let's go into the land. And you've just spent the, the last 40 years watching all of your peers die. And now their children are there, and you're on the, the cusp of the land again. If I'm Joshua, I'm having flashbacks thinking, this is not going to go well. On top of that, you know, just sheer numbers, leading millions of people, it's not really fun. That's not a job that I want. It's no small undertaking. Joshua would have recognized that he could not control them. Right? He wasn't some young buck who'd never had any leadership stepping in and like, yeah, I got this. Let's go. Come on, I'm going to lead the children of Israel. No, he spent the last 40 years under Moses. He's seen all of the times that they were ready to kill Moses, that they wanted to stone Moses, that there were uprisings against Moses, and they, they were tired of his leadership. He's heard all of the murmurings. He's been right there, right? They tried to kill him too. So Joshua is not somehow naive to any of this. He knows. And they're on, the, they're on the shores, the shore of Jordan. They're ready to go into the promised land. And God is promising Joshua, if you meditate in my law day and night with the purpose that thou mayest observe to do according to all there, that is written therein, you'll make your way prosperous and you'll have good success. God came to him personally and said this. Now, God didn't come and give him some leadership strategy. He didn't come and say, now look, Joshua, here's what you really need to do to win friends and influence people. Or here's the top ten bestsellers on leadership and running a company. Right? No, he didn't do any of this. He didn't come with some great statement of wisdom that Joshua could take and apply. He said, no, Joshua, I've already given you everything that you need in order to have success. And not just, you know, success, but success in leading a people that you can't control. Now, how do you guarantee that? Right? As, as the leader of the children of Israel, you can't make them do what you want them to do. But yet God guarantees that Joshua would have success in this if Joshua would meditate in his word. 
You think about God's law. God's law is not an impersonal book of do's and do nots that simply condemned Joshua. Joshua was a man just like you and me. If Joshua spent time meditating in God's law, he would have seen himself as unrighteous, unholy, and unworthy of a relationship with God. But God's law was not simply a book that Joshua would meditate in and then be condemned by. But rather, it was God's roadmap for success. It was God's revelation of himself to mankind. It was God's revelation of his love. You know, Joshua's success did not depend on his amazing ability as a leader. Though I'm sure he was a pretty amazing leader. It didn't depend upon a massive army of super skilled soldiers with superior equipment and firepower. As they go into the land, right, he didn't have some group of super soldiers behind him that were going to go and just wipe out all the Canaanites and be like, boom, we win because we're awesome. No, he had a group of grumbling people that were not warriors and largely didn't want to do what he told them to and didn't want to follow him. But yet God had promised success. So get this. Joshua's success as a leader, Joshua's success in what God had given him to do, literally depended upon his walk with God, both physically and spiritually. In verse number three, God promises him, every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon that have I given to you. So literally, Joshua had a physical promise that if you walk with me, if you walk physically in the purpose that I have given you, every place your, your foot touches, that's yours. That's a pretty cool promise. But his success literally depended upon his walk with God. So what about us? Right? We've seen what Joshua was commanded to do. We've seen what Joshua faced. But what about us? You know, you and I as believers, we're not called to lead two million people into a land to conquer all the other people there. At least I don't think any of us are, right? So what about us? You know, how does this apply to us? Does this promise to Joshua, does this apply to us? What can we glean from it today? You know, you and I as believers today, though we don't stand on the physical promised land shores We stand on a promised land of the victorious Christian life. The victory for your Christian life has already been won by Christ Jesus. You know, the victory for the children of Israel had already been won. It wasn't a battle that they had to fight. They literally just had to step forward and follow God. And God would bring them into a land that flowed with milk and honey, a land where there was houses that were built and cities and fields that were planted and vineyards and everything was ready for the taking. All they had to do was to step into it. And for you and I, the victory in our Christian life has already been won. 
It's not something that you and I have to somehow, you know, get big and strong enough for to somehow win. No, we just have to step forward in obedience to Christ. He has already won the victory for you and I. The importance of God's word is a principle that carries all throughout Scripture. And you know what? God's word is no less important for your life and for mine than it was for Joshua. In fact, I would say it's more important. Because you and I, we don't hear an audible voice from God like Joshua did. You and I, when we're facing some great decision in life, we don't have God come and physically speak to us. But yet, we have his word. And if you and I are walking with God, it's no less amazing and no less important than it was in Joshua's life. You and I have all of the wisdom that we need, just like Joshua did. You know, God didn't tell Joshua, hey, Joshua, I want you to listen, because every time you face a really important decision in your life, I'm going to come and talk to you like I am right now. Rather, God told Joshua, don't let my law depart out of your mouth. Meditate therein day and night. And you and I can do the same thing. You and I can meditate in God's word with purpose. We can meditate with the purpose of observing to do. You know, walking with God, living the Christian life, is a task that is outside of our ability. Just as the task of leading the children of Israel into the promised land successfully was a task that was way above Joshua's pay grade. It was way out of his wheelhouse. So is walking with God for you and I. It's not something that we can somehow drum up and, okay, now I can walk with the God of the universe? How? I mean, have any of you lately gone out for a walk in a park and found an ant and been like, hmm, that's my pet ant. Let's walk together. Have you done that? No, of course you haven't. Because it's an ant, even if it's a really big ant, right? And it's running. You take one step, and you're so far ahead of it. You can't walk with an ant. An ant can't walk with you. It doesn't have that ability. I suppose you could pick it up and somehow, you know, make an ant farm with it or carry it around in a, a thing and feed it food, right? But the ant has no ability to walk with you. And, yeah, it's a silly illustration, but think about this, folks. You and I have no ability to walk with God. He's God. And I know that some, sometimes we get so familiar with his word and with the fact that he wants to have a relationship with us that we get kind of used to this. But we have no ability to relate to him. We have no ability to somehow walk at the pace and on the plane at which God walks. But yet he stoops. He humbles himself to walk with us. God's given us life's instruction manual. He's given us eternity's love letter. He's given us history's greatest book. Why? Not so that we can somehow get used to it and, oh, yeah, it's the Bible, whatever. No, he's given it to us as life's instruction book. 
He's given it, it to us as his love letter to us so that we can learn of him, so that we can know what he wants from us, what he wants for us. He's given it to us so that he can have a relationship with us. It's not an impersonal book of do's and don'ts. It's a book that allows you and I to walk with God. Another similarity, you and I have been given another task that is beyond our abilities. The Great Commission. The Great Commission is beyond our abilities. We can't somehow go out and save people. We can't go out and somehow convince people in our strength that they need to come to Christ. We're not able. And, you know, even if we could go out and be really successful at it, right, we're supposed to reach every creature. That's impossible for you and I. Even if we start some great big movement, it's only a movement of man. But God promises that he's given us all power. You know, success in our Christian lives, success in the Great Commission, depends upon our walk with God. Just as Joshua was faced with a task that was impossible for him, and God promised success if he would walk with him, so you and I are faced with a task that is impossible for us. But yet God promises that he has supplied all of our needs. He's given us everything. And if we'll walk with him, we will have success. We'll have a way that is prosperous. Now, that may not mean that we have great numbers. That may not mean that in the eyes of man, it looks something like success. But in the eyes of God, if you and I walk with him, if we meditate upon his word day and night, with the purpose that we will observe to do according to all that is written therein, If you and I come to God with the attitude that says, God, whatever you show me, doesn't matter what it is, I'll walk with you through it. I'll change it. I'll do it because I love you and I want to walk with you. If you and I come to God with that attitude, we'll find success. If you and I come to God and we say, God, I don't want to do anything in my life but what you want me to do. I don't want to waste my life. I want to fulfill your purpose. If you and I set about to fulfill God's purpose and we walk with him, we will be successful. Because it's not us then, right? It's God. Meditation with purpose draws you close to God. It unlocks your understanding of his will and his ways. And God's will done in God's way equals prosperity and good success in situations that are out of your control. So I don't don't know what you're faced with tonight. I don't know what God has for you in this life. But if you want prosperity and good success in the eyes of God, meditate in his book, day and night, with the purpose that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. You know, I think sometimes that if a, a very successful person in this life 
was to write a book, a billionaire. And they write a book that guarantees that if you follow a simple five-step plan, in five years you'll be a billionaire as well. And if they wrote that book and there was some kind of a guarantee and people began to follow that book and do it and people began to become billionaires, and that book would sell like wildfire. Right? If, if you knew for sure that you followed this five-step plan in five years, you'll be a billionaire. Sign me up, man. Sure. If that's something that I can do and it's laid out like that, yeah. People would flock to something like that. But you know, brethren, we're given promises in God's word that are worth far more than that. But yet so often in my own life, and I would imagine in some of yours as well, I'm guilty of devaluing the word of God, of not treating it like it is. You know, God's word is far more valuable than any book that could make you a millionaire or a billionaire. Because all of that is just earthly riches that pass away. Success and prospering in God's eyes has to do with eternity. That's what I desire. I desire that at the end of my life, that I would hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, from God. Not from men. The praise of man is shallow. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. Thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. What are you meditating in? May I suggest the word of God.